Hi, everyone, and welcome to Human Centered. I'm Nick Brunker, Director of Experience Strategy at BML YNR and your host for the show. Thanks for joining us. On the show today, we're going to talk about the importance of crafting ethical customer experiences. Sounds obvious enough, but without intentional human oversight and intervention, AI technologies and others, which are evolving at a breakneck pace, can quickly swirl out of control and cause unwanted outcomes. And with a growing number of customers deciding which brands they want to engage with based heavily on their values and ethics, it's a critical topic for leaders to have top of mind. To dive into all that with us, I'm pumped to welcome in VML YNR's global lead of CX transformation and human center design, Jason Gajkowski. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for joining us. Oh, Nick, thank you for having me. And as we as we get started in this, my God, I have to I just have to confess my own insecurity and inadequacy and in, uh not having your radio voice. <laughs> I I blush. You make me blush, my man. I appreciate that. <laughs> and thank you for joining. Uh, I know you're you're very, very busy these days. And for those that haven't had a chance to connect with you, I'd love for you to share a bit about your background and your role at BML YNR. Yeah. So, you know, I started with the company in the uh, in the long ago days when, when BML was, was quite small and through a series of wildly improbable events, I have been able to tackle topics like digital transformation and brand transformation. You know, I had a, a four-year client-side uh, sabbatical uh, where I did corporate transformation, and I've I've really been back now for for seven years with a very strong perspective that that humanity, I think, is the next competitive advantage for for brands and for business. And so, you know, I spend a lot of my time really helping our company and our clients adapt to the experience era, right? And figure out how to be successful in in a place and in a time where being more human is more important than ever. Like we said off the top, it sounds obvious. Of course, you want to provide ethical experiences for your customers. And in the experience era, uh, you know that there are going to be times where you're under the microscope because the perception becomes reality. Why do you think it's become such a focal point for brands to tackle ethical CX and, and values-based selling? Well, I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a few factors going on. I mean, for, for the past couple of decades, there's been increasing momentum around the importance of purpose for brands and, and for business. And we've seen a lot of momentum, especially in the past handful of years from, you know, Larry Fink of BlackRock Capital um, making like a stand on what kind of businesses he's going to be investing in. There's a lot of momentum around um, ESG, particularly in, in Europe. And, you know, I think when you look at, at the reality of what it takes to compete successfully, product quality is all really, really good. And, you know, for a lot of categories, you've got saturation in the market, you've got highly competitive pricing structures. And so, like, the next question becomes, how do I have a more successful business? Frankly, it's by treating my customers better. Right. And I think that really that really explains why firms are putting more and more attention into customer experience overall, but specifically in empathy and ethics and even morality in the experiences that they deliver. And you think about that the word empathy is as we've talked about a lot on this show, it's it's something that has become a bit of a buzzword. And I think when you talk about the gap that exists between what what brands think they're doing that is empathetic and what customers perceive as empathetic, there seems to be a gap there. Are you perceiving that as well? I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's you don't have to look very far to find both stories and and evidence of firms really wrestling 
with purpose versus profit or, you know, mission, mission versus margin. And I think that, you know, companies have done a, a good job of developing tools and developing capabilities to give them insight and understanding into the consumer. I think what we really lack is the next generation of tools that allow us to have not just insight, but a true appreciation and even a personal regard or even a personal responsibility for the impact that our businesses have on the lives of those people. From a tech perspective too, CX, generally speaking, is powered by humans connecting with technology. So the brands leveraging tech at scale to deliver on some of these experiences. But what's the term shit in, shit out as it relates to the data and how technology <laughs> can sometimes be in a position to uh, to really help, but it's only as good as the algorithms and the, the inputs that humans ultimately put in there, right? It, it, it seems like it's ripe for bias, is it not? Well, I mean, look, technology does so many things wonderfully, wonderfully well. I'm a, I'm a big believer in technology and, and the potential that it can unlock, you know, but you don't have to look very far into the headlines. You know, the Facebook papers are a, uh, a really relevant topic right now mm-hmm. that there can be some very real negative externalities that come from technologies that intend to do something wonderful, that at scale reveal some of the biases and some of the worst instincts that both businesses and and people have, right? I think that that when we think about customer experience and its accelerating importance to business, we have to take great care in taking a look at how can we debias the data and the way that we use the data? How can we build ethical and more moral protocols into the technology systems so that we can minimize the unintended but almost inevitable um, negative consequences of good intentions, right? And so I think this is an increasingly, increasingly crucial time to be thinking about how do we build real responsibility into the systems through which we're going to interact with customers. What's interesting, albeit a bit disheartening, is how we are seeing the dehumanization, albeit unintentional, of a person into a relevancy, things like the target, the demographic. Is that a pattern you're seeing broadly across the industry? Well, it's certainly it's certainly something that I see pervasive in the industry. You know, and when when I talk about, you know, maybe the tools and the capabilities that we have as business lagging the need that we have as ethical business, you know, the language of the industry talks about the consumer. And the consumer isn't actually a person, that's an object. We talk about mm-hmm. the demographic, the segment, the target. Um, and there's a lot of legacy language that traces back back decades that thinks about people in a way that that is more like a, a thing to be mined for profit rather than a living, breathing being that that counts as much as I count, that counts as much as my friend counts, that counts as much as my my daughter counts. And I think that that those kind of unconscious practices that businesses operate on have an unfortunate dehumanizing effect that gets in the way of, of genuine empathy. 
Yeah, and you've mentioned this idea of an ideal CX, which you actually use as an acronym for kind of attacking that and more in regards to building what we would consider ethical customer experience and customer experience design. Could you unpack that for us and tell us what you mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, ideal CX is, is a new effort that we are spearheading out of a committee as part of the CX Council with the four A's. And so we brought together thought leaders from business, from agency, from academia, from consultancy, from researcher, a broad-based set of experts to really, really interrogate what makes an experience ideal. And in our estimation, an ideal experience is going to be inclusive, it's going to be diverse, it's going to be equitable, it's going to be accessible, and it's going to be, it's going to be laudable. Right. Like an ideal experience, if internal papers get leaked to the media, it's not a PR crisis. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a reputation opportunity. Right. If you're if you're doing it really, really well. And, you know, it's it's our perspective that this is really, really crucial as firms are investing more and more in not just customer experiences, but customer experience management systems, customer experience technology first party data sets, right? We think that that because customer experience often relies on data and technology at scale, it becomes increasingly important that we think about what is the what is the ethical standard that we apply to experiences and then how do we engineer those ethical standards into the technology stacks and even into the data sets and even into the management practices that businesses use in order to drive and deliver those programs. It's the progression that I think is super interesting. And, and circling back to a comment you made about Facebook and just the, um, the overarching movie that came out about that a while back called The Social Dilemma. And I know you and I have talked about it um, off the mic in the past. It, when you hear the idea that the genie's already out of the bottle, that there can't really be a way to go back on where we've gotten to this point in regards to, you know, data and the pervasiveness of, of profit over people. Is the genie out of the bottle in that sense? I mean, is is what you're talking about with Ideal CX a way to, quote unquote, put the genie back in? <laughs> I love this question. You know, <laughs> is the genie out of the bottle? Absolutely. Can the genie be put back into the bottle? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that I think that when you when you zoom out and you look over time, the firms that impart damage to the society in which they operate get regulated into good behavior, right? Like the oil industry does a lot, a lot of good. There's some negative externalities, and so they get regulated. The, the chemical industry, particularly around pesticides, right? They do a lot of good. They also get regulated due to some negative externalities. I think that when we look at you know a lot of the major organizations out there, including Facebook, and this is this is not novel, this is not original, and this is not news, I think that regulation is almost inevitable. And as that happens, that really opens up opportunities for new competitors to do a better job, right? Like, I think Facebook's rebranding to Meta, frankly, is a little bit of a head fake. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know who is going to come into this space and command a new competitive a new competitive position 
but I absolutely believe that there will be a competitor that is going to take advantage of that opportunity. Now, if we bring it back to some of the client organizations that we work with, I think that there is increasing recognition, to quote Tim Cook, that not all engagement is good engagement, that more is not always better, mm-hmm. right? And, and Roger Martin has a, has a book that came out in the past, the past year uh, called When More Is Not Better, right? More is not always better. And I think that, that enlightened firms are starting to think about the experiences that they deliver to customers, not only in an ethical way, but even in a positive generative kind of way. You know, Michael Porter years ago um, posited that business is a greater tool for solving social problems than philanthropy. And I think we are on the cusp of recognizing that we don't have to make a trade-off between doing the right thing and doing the smart thing, that there is a competitive advantage that lets us do well as businesses by doing right by people. Another great book on the subject is called Designing Experiences by J. Robert Rossman and Matthew Durden. And I think what they talk about in terms of experiences as compared to products or just services is that experiences are innately participatory. And the brands that can view it that way are the brands that tend to succeed. Well, I think that experience is innately participatory. And I think that that increasingly brands and businesses need to be thinking about a kind of participatory joint venture with their customers, right? For, for decades, firms have been operating to try and maximize customer lifetime value. I would suggest going forward, they should really be operating on maximizing the value in and to a customer's lifetime. You know, there's a, there's a kind of collective bargaining. The customers have a kind of collective bargaining power with the brands that they support and, and don't support, right? Like if we get really, really honest, when a category is really, really competitive, as so many are, every business needs the patronage of a customer far more than any customer needs the product, service, or offering from any particular business, right? And that's a, that's a reversal of power dynamic. And I think that for firms like that really, really take advantage of the opportunity ahead of them to you know, just accept that game theory is a thing and that win-win strategies are really, really effective, that helping customers thrive is an effective strategy to build a great business. And one of the many things that, that we do as CX pros and really any leaders that are looking to transform their business with customer experience, they build personas. They do investigation on what makes these people tick, the pain points, et cetera. But what you find is that building them correctly isn't always easy, but it is crucial. Tell us why that is. Well, this is, uh, I think, as you, as you know, you just served me up a softball there because uh, I'm on a little <laughs> bit of a, I'm on a little bit of a rampage for what, what I call the campaign for real personas. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really, really talented people doing, doing, you know, like really, really great work with what I would argue are outdated or inadequate tools. And in the design of personas, when you, when you zoom out and you start looking at the most common practices, you find 
unrealistically aspirational photos and highly aspirational descriptions of people who themselves are privileged that are like living in a in a in an upscale urban environment mm-hmm. right like like I often joke that the typical persona is a a highly educated very attractive 37 year old uh, woman in upstate Connecticut that wears Lululemon <laughs> and you know, eats Chobani and you know I kid you not that person doesn't exist and <laughs> you know there's a there's a client of ours that spent three years pursuing a market segment only to discover that it doesn't exist. And, you know, I'm really encouraging in the development of, of personas, taking some obvious inspiration from, from the marketing work that Dove has done over the years. Like, what's wrong with including the photo of a person who is realistic, that you can see their burdens, that their struggles are reflected so that our very talented strategic and creative thinkers can can have real empathy with what that person is going through and we can better understand how our clients brands and products can not just make a sale but can make a meaningful impact to positively improve the lives of that person so what are some of the habits that our listeners can follow to avoid falling into that trick box of the average persona because i know there's there's a lot of work that you do is is kind of our lead for human-centered design and and transformation for cx that you know workshops are good getting out and talking to the community and other customers is good what are some exercises that that our our listeners might be able to to learn from or or take as a a next step to try and avoid the trick box you just laid out you know there's a there's a little practice that that i'm a big fan of you know and it and it works anytime we're thinking about the people that we're hoping to the people that we're hoping to serve and to interact with and to invite into participating with our brands and and hopefully making us a part of how they pursue a life well lived right and you know it's kind of a kind of a three-step process that i find to be very very effective you start with you know the target the consumer the demographic whoever it is or however you currently describe them and it's a short exercise. Just really write down like the target. And then on the next line, write down is a person who. And then, you know, add some additional traits, some additional dimensions um, to help you better understand the target as a person. Right. So the 37 year old married with two kids, one dog a job and a half driving a Honda is a person who feels overwhelmed, whose budget is stretched, who wrestles with the trade-off between providing for her family and the expense of daycare, right? Whatever those dimensions are, whatever those characteristics are. And then the third step is a lot like, and then you identify a person who actually exists, Someone you know, someone you can relate to, even someone that you care about, right? And so you go from a target segment is a person with these kinds of these kinds of traits, these kinds of burdens, these kinds of needs, this kinds of pain, this kind of hope, this kind of dream. A lot like a friend, a grandmother, an aunt, 
an uncle, a daughter, and then start making your decisions through the lens of, is this an experience you want for that person? Or as I sometimes like to say, if you wouldn't do that to your daughter, don't do it. If you wouldn't do it to your grandmother, don't do it. If you wouldn't do it to your friend, your neighbor, your brother, your uncle, your colleague, don't do it. We've got remarkably talented people in our industry and in our clients. And if we take the time to rehumanize the customer from a segment to a person who matters just as much as someone we know and care about, we're going to make a lot better decisions and we're going to have a lot greater success as a result. That is so great. Such great stuff. I could talk to you all day about this this stuff and maybe we will have another conversation. I'd love to dig deeper on this with you, uh, perhaps in a, in a follow-up podcast at some point, but I think there's, there's a lot of meat on that bone, so to speak for, for our listeners to sink our teeth into. So definitely excited that you were able to spend some time with us before we lose you, um, and have a couple more minutes left. Um, would love to hear a little bit more about you when you're not doing human centered design and helping lead CX transformation for business. Cause I'm, I imagine like, like many others around here, uh, you've got a lot of other things that you like to do off of the clock. And I'd love to hear some of your hobbies. What keeps you busy when you're not, not doing your nine to five? Yeah, for sure. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm, I'm focused on health and vitality and, uh, exercise is medicine and nature is medicine. So, you know, if I'm not working, there's a good chance that I'm riding a bicycle somewhere, uh, in the mountains or, uh, you know, traipsing around in a camper van with my, with my wife or my daughter or, or both. And just trying to, you know, get unplugged, recharge, refresh, and, uh, you know, keep my, keep myself happy, healthy and, and moving forward. Where's your favorite place to, to get out and about? I mean, do you have a, a go-to spot when you're either going out on a camping trip or bike? Oh, I mean, that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge topic. <laughs> I've been, I've been lucky enough to, I've been lucky enough to ride bicycles and race bicycles, uh, both internationally and across, um, you know, big parts of the United States. Um, you know, like Colorado obviously is a, is a Mecca of cycling. Um, Emporia, Kansas actually is like destination class gravel, gravel bicycle riding. It's absolutely fantastic. Nebraska is fantastic. Iowa, Michigan, um, you know, really anywhere there's a lot of beauty, some great roads and not very many cars is a place I'm, I'm pretty interested to go. What got you into that competitive bike racing? You know, I was, I was born a competitive kid and perhaps the least athletic kid that you could ever imagine. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> and, you know, at first I, I fell in love with a bicycle because I found a couple in a garage and there were some tools and I was really curious about how they could come apart and get put back together. And so, you know, it was an exercise in learning at first and then it became a vehicle for freedom, you know, as a, as a young person, I had my own means of transformation and I could go places and explore and spend time with friends. And, uh, you know, eventually I learned that cycling is one of those wonderful sports that number one is kind of meditative. It's a wonderful place to contemplate and think and, and come to clarity and come to insights it's a it's a fantastic way of managing mental and emotional health. And 
It also happens to be a sport that through sheer repetition, you can get pretty good at. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, suddenly at 30, I woke up and looked around and people were like, you're an athlete. And I'm like, who me? (laughs) Um, Like you race bikes and you do pretty well. And I'm like, oh, I I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, All right. That's cool. Said no one ever to me. (laughs) Nobody ever said, hey, you're an athlete. So that's pretty cool. Nick, you're an athlete. <laughs> There's the you're one. Pop in your bubble right now. Done. Nick, you are an athlete. Yes. You just haven't discovered <laughs> your inner athlete yet. I fi- figured out 10,000 ways not to be an athlete, I guess is what you're telling and me. And I promise you that <laughs> investing in your fitness will pay dividends into every part of your life. You, Amen. my friend, are an athlete. Everyone is. <laughs> uh, and with that, I don't think there's any better way to close the show. Jason Gajkowski, thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Thank you, Nick. It was a pleasure to be here. And thanks to you all for listening to Human Centered as well. To learn more about our CX practice and our approach to the work, check us out online at vmlyr.com slash CX. We'd also love to hear your feedback on the show. Give us a rating and offer up your thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and more. Have a topic idea or just want to drop us a line? You can connect with me on Twitter at Nick Brunker or shoot the show an email. The address is humancentered at vmlyr.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.